You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. MasterCard Executive Chair Ann Carnes joins the Post to discuss the importance of inclusion and gender diversity in leadership positions in the business world. Let's listen. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Heather Long, an economics correspondent here at The Post, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Ann Cairns, the Global Vice Chair of MasterCard, sometimes known as MasterCard's ambassador to the world. And we're here for a really interesting discussion about how we get more women and more people of color into leadership positions at businesses around the world. Welcome to Post Live, Anne. It's lovely to be here, Heather. Thank you. So I want to start with the statistic that so many of us know well, and that is that of the Fortune 500 or the S&P 500 companies, only 37 are headed by women. And that happens to be the most ever, but it's still such a depressingly low number, 37 out of 500. And I know you're part of this initiative, this uh, group of the 30% club, you're hoping to get these numbers closer to 30%. Can you give us a sense of where we are now and how can we speed up the progress? Yes, well, um, in terms of the 30% club, uh, we've made quite a lot of progress in the last 10 years. Uh, we started in Britain when we had less than 10% women on boards. And uh, now in the FTSE 100, we've got over 36% women on boards and uh, in the FTSE uh, 350, 34%. Meanwhile, the club moved around the world. It's now in the US and Canada and Japan and Australia, about 20 countries in the world. The latest place we opened was Mexico. And of course, it's a very different picture depending on where you are in the world, Heather. I mean, uh, Japan opened two years ago. Uh, at that time, they had only 7% women on boards um, and they've moved in two years to 13%, which is quite dramatic. Um, and, the, and the members of the club are basically chairman and CEOs of some of the most powerful companies in the world, roughly about a thousand companies as we speak. Um, but you're quite right, although we're making progress in the boardrooms and we are making some progress in the C-suites, um, it's around about 23% in the C-suites. That top position is still, you know, a long way off being attained by many women. Well, wow, but 23% is certainly a little bit better. Some of those numbers are very encouraging in different countries. I'm curious to hear your take on quotas. A number of countries and the state of California, uh, you know, from South Africa to parts of Europe, have instituted quotas. So companies, particularly on their boards, are mandated by law to have, like in California's case, at least one woman. Other countries have it as 30%, more like what your target is. Do you support some sort of quota or do you think that backfires? Well, I've got two opinions about it. The first thing is I prefer not to have quotas. And the reason for this is that I think that you want real cultural change. 
And the 30% club um, actually sets aspirational targets that CEOs and chairmen sign up for themselves of their own volition. And if that happens, you know that in publicly listed companies, they will drive the change. And so you're getting cultural change in the companies. If you're just telling people what to do, then um, that's not necessarily achieving the change you want. Also, I don't particularly like the Californian model of just at least one woman because it's a kind of one and done thing. Um, and uh, the 30% is based on a little bit of science of, you know, once you get to that tipping point of having um, more than 30% of, you know, a certain minority in the room, then they cease to be a minority. And that's what we've been thinking of. Yeah, that's a really good point about a critical mass to really change the thinking. Uh, I'm curious, this is such a broad question, but you know, in your experience, what you think the top one or two things that hold women back are? And you know, I ask this as someone, uh, I'm in my late 30s, who came of age in the lean-in era. You know, we were all told if we just raised our hands more, if we spoke up more, that we would make it. And obviously there has been a few more women, as we were just discussing, elevated to the C-suite. But I think when I look at my younger peers, there's such more of a recognition now from them and a calls from them about biases in the workplace you know, and these unconscious biases that are often holding back women and people of color from being elevated. And so I'm curious to get your take. Do you sort of lean one way or the other these days and in thinking what is the real barrier here to getting women and people of color to the top? Well, I mean, I actually don't think we should be fixing the women and we shouldn't be fixing the people of color. Um, I think that you're quite right that the system isn't a level playing field and we have to admit that to ourselves. And then we have to do everything in our power to make it a level playing field. An example I want to give you of this is um, in our company, MasterCard, we decided that we would institute global maternity and paternity leave everywhere in the world, all three over 200 countries in which we operate. And it's four months for each parent. It can apply to single sex couples as well. Now, why does this make a difference and why is that good for women? Well, actually, um, what you're doing there is you're causing people to look at young people that are working for them and not think, oh, you know, here's a woman, she's probably going to go on maternity leave and have a family. You're actually looking at your team and saying, oh, they're a young person. At some point, they're going to be a parent and have a family. You've automatically rebalanced between men and women there. And also you're telling the men, um, this is a good thing to do, to actually be involved in the uh, upbringing of your kids and to actually share um, the family load. And I think things like this will change. Uh, how women do in the environment. Yeah, mm -hmm. huge push for that here in the United States. We'll see what happens in the coming months uh, as well on the federal level. Um, I guess, is that something that you think should should happen in the United States to have, and they've been talking about 12 weeks, so almost as generous as your policy, more like three months of paid parental leave in the United States, is it time? I, I think it's time to recognize that paid parental leave is needed to really get the talent retained in the workforce that you want to retain. And I think 
COVID has shown us that. Um, working through COVID, um, working remotely, having the technology that you and I are using today, it's great. But, you know, if you're in a situation that you've got no childcare at home and you're homeschooling and it's just one partner um, that's actually bearing the load of that um, or you've got single parents and so on, um, it can be, you know, really intense. And I've read that many women in the States that have been surveyed have actually thought about stepping back from their careers as a result of the experience that they've had last year during COVID. And unfortunately, the data shows that many did do that with about 2 million women who had, who left the workforce entirely. Quite a few were, were parents of young children. Um, I'm curious to hear what other ways MasterCard is likely to see some permanent changes in workforce culture coming out of the pandemic. Like, will, will people be able to work from home or will you be doing more of this hybrid model going forward? Yes, I mean, to be honest, we were always flexible even before COVID. So I, I think that the companies that went into COVID and were able to use their technology and were able to work flexibly in the first place, actually, you know, were in much better shape than other companies. Um, so uh, I think a fair amount of people want to come back to the office. Um, people won't necessarily be in the office all week. Um, I actually had a job where I ran everything for MasterCard outside America and, and was traveling over 40 weeks a year. So you could hardly say that I was actually working from one place or another. I was usually probably working from an airport. But the point being that I think, you, you know, to give people choice um, is the right way forward. And what are people saying in your company as you do surveys? What do they want? I think as I look at some of the surveys in the U.S. Uh, companies that are asking their employees what they want more of, uh, it's been interesting to see backup childcare rising up the list. You know, people wanting some help from their company in situations that are crises or emergency, even after the pandemic ends. I'm curious at MasterCard, what are you hearing that employees really want and value? Uh, beyond kind of flexibility. Yes, they definitely want that. And we actually do provide that and have de uh, provided that before the uh, pandemic, actually. Um, and I think it's something that, again, uh, companies that have thought of these things have a better um, appreciation of people's work-life balance have fared better. Um, I think also, but people want to collaborate with their colleagues. Uh, people do want flexibility, as you say, but they want much more than that. They want to thrive in their working environment. Um, people care quite a lot about working for a company with purpose. Um, and we give time off to actually spend time on things that you're passionate about in terms of, you know, giving back to society, as well as having things on our own agenda, such as financial inclusion, such as, you know, taking that half a billion dollars that we took um, and investing in um, black communities in the States uh, across a number of cities. And our employees like to get engaged in things like that that we're doing. So it's, I think it's a holistic thing that people want. Uh, I mean, of course, because we're a global company, um, you know, we've been very engaged in, in helping out in India, helping with uh, field hospitals, mobile field hospitals that are coming on because many of our staff work in India and, um, and most of our staff, all of our staff have had, you know, experiences of family and friends in, you know, in serious and sometimes fatal circumstances. So, 
So I think you have to think about the needs of everyone around the world, the things they're experiencing in their life at this time and respond to it as a company. Mm. Uh, I'm so glad you brought up black communities and I know that you look at a lot of this research too, certainly the numbers in the UK and the US are really distressing, particularly showing black women are constantly and consistently the lowest paid and the least likely to be promoted. What are you learning about why this is and, and what it's going to take to really change the game specifically for black women? Yeah, we, we're learning a lot about that. Actually, at the moment, where MasterCard's doing a study with the um, London School of Economics about the lived experience of black women in the business world, which I think will be very interesting. Uh, there isn't a lot of data on that in Britain. I know there's many more studies have been done in America. Um, and, uh, and in the 30% cl uh, club context, uh, we have just launched a chapter looking at this, you know, what is happening to, to um, people of color and what about the intersectionality of women of color? That's actually led uh, by uh, Sophie Chanduka, um, who uh, works uh, in a day job with Morgan Stanley kind of half in New York and half in London because she has a global job. And um, and she uh, was talking yesterday to a bunch of headhunters together with me about the lived experience of it. She was saying when she went to get positions on boards, her credentials were being really examined uh, and questioned. Uh, as if, you know, she was different from other people, that they just didn't stand by themselves. And I think this is the thing that we often forget, that men forget, it's very different for them from women, and that white women, women like me forget about, you know, how people look at women of colour and start questioning, well, how good are you really? And did you really sort of achieve this? I mean, she's a, she's a, a, been a lawyer in her time and is now a kind of head of operations. Um, yeah, so I think we need to be listening now and then again, not fixing the women, they don't need fixing, not fixing the minorities, but saying, how can you ask, be asking different questions in an interview? We need to fix the way that we interview people, um, you know, the questions that we ask in interview and the way that we think about it. Wow, that is just a stunning, stunning example. I mean, very true. Many people have stories like that, but it's just so, uh, so wrong. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about this push that we've also seen in the last year towards um, towards racial justice. There's been a really a global reawakening, these protests happening. Uh, I'm curious to hear what tangible steps MasterCard is taking. I, I think many of us did see your statement, for instance, on April 1st that was you know, calling in the United States to ensure that there would be fair elections and everybody would be able to vote who can vote. So sort of your voice was one of many corporations speaking out against some of these voter restriction bills that are being discussed in different states. But are there other tangible ways that things have really shifted in the last few months at MasterCard around these racial justice and inclusion initiatives? 
absolutely. I mean, we have a whole a raft of things that we're doing that, un that go under the title of a project that we call Solidarity. And I mentioned that we've taken half a billion dollars and are investing in black communities across seven big cities in the States. Um, we're actually looking at getting capital funding towards minority owned businesses. Um, and particularly, we've got projects that are very focused on black women owned businesses. Um, I, uh, you know, that, that as you just pointed out, Heather, suffer more than anyone. These businesses need things like capital, but they also need training. Um, they need access to digital products. We're looking at our own supply chains and saying, you know, are we actually fair in terms of the companies that we use around the world? How, you know, have we got enough women-led companies in there? Have we got enough black-led companies in there? Um, there's just amazing uh, raft of things we're doing. We're also looking at our own personnel and we've committed to have 50% more vice president and above um, black Americans in our company by 2025. Hmm. Wow, that's a, um, so, it, it, but that's, you don't see that as a quota. Earlier on, you were sort of dismissive of quotas, but that seems like a pretty it's hard a, target that it's you're a instituting. Top, yeah, but I mean, I think uh, that set, I think that setting, you know, targets for yourself is so different from the government giving you a quota. I see, I see, okay. Um, and can I push you a little bit uh, there? Obviously, MasterCard, you process so many transactions around the world. But, you know, some of the things I see on, on forums, racial justice forums, is some people are upset that maybe MasterCard, why, why would you still do business or process transactions for white supremacist groups? Are, are there, is there kind of a rethink at the company about whether certain businesses or organizations should be excluded from the platform? I mean, our company stands, you know, look, basically when, uh, you know, we are here to follow the law and if we come across anybody using our project, uh, you know, our payments um, systems in an illegal way, um, you know, and I can think of things, for example, you know, a, a website, say, with child pornography. You know, if, if we found that, we would close it down immediately. And also, if we found uh, people doing harm to other people, we would, you know, take action on that. But it, it's not for us in the corporate world to actually be making a judgment about this. We, we leave that to the lawmakers and then we act really quickly. Um, we've got a lot of great questions from women around the world who are seeking your advice, so I'm going to get to those in just one second. But I do want to ask you about one of the big hot button issues of the day here. I'm sitting in Washington, D.C., and that is this big debate about whether the U.S. economy is overheating and we are going to see uh, inflation come roaring back. So I'm curious just to get your take. Is inflation a concern in, in your mind? for the US or other parts of the world? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because there are many ways to ma manage out of this crisis. And there's a lot of discussion about K-shaped recovery. Um, you know, inflation is certainly one way that, you know, you could come out of a, a crisis like this. Uh, though many of the economists that I talk to around the world are very doubtful about that because they just feel that the sort of prolonged level of negative, you know, near negative interest rates 
rates, um, you know, would be preventing that. But I'm not an economist, Heather, so I, I leave that to them. Fair enough. Uh so we've got this great network tuning in, Power to Fly. It's a women's professional network that helps to lift women up and, and find ways to get their, their resumes in front of key leaders. So I want to ask a few of their questions. This is what Lauren wrote in to say. She was curious uh, what skills women need to develop to become successful, specifically in the finance industry, so your industry. Um, she asked, what would you say is your most appreciated quality from your peers that's really set you apart? Well, you know, I, I do think, well, I don't think that there's one quality, but I do think that um, it's helpful in life to, uh, to be very um, straightforward and trust, you know, people have got to be able to trust you. Um, they, you know, they might disagree with you on topics, but they've got to know where you stand. And I've actually found it wonderful to have a sense of humor as well in life, because especially in, if you're in the middle of a crisis, and uh, I was restructuring Lehman quite a few years ago through their chapter 11. Um, sometimes you just need to take things off the boil and, um, and be able to, um, you know, relax and really connect with people. And I think that's helpful in any corporate environment. So, so developing those personal connections that, you know, build out your network over time is the thing that ultimately is going to help you be successful, I think. Yeah. Um, Lydia asks an interesting one. Many people may not know they see you as this finance executive now, but that you actually started your career as a research engineer, if, if I've got that right. And so she asked, you know, it's amazing to read that you moved up to these different roles after starting as, as more of an engineer. You know, what advice would you give to young women who may be in their first or second job to really make that leap in, into something different or in, you know, into a more of a leadership role? Well, you know, I, I think um, the, the kids growing up today are going to live 100 year lives. And my life um, is kind of a bit sort of, you know, you, you go to school and university, you work and then eventually you retire, though I don't know when that's actually going to happen because it seems that you then go on to get all of your board seats and do many other things besides. But it's kind of a three tier life. Um, if you're going to live to about 100, you could be working for, I don't know, 60, 70 years, in which case you're probably going to change career quite a lot. And I think that you should accept that from the outset and should build a set of skills which are all about continuous learning, being curious, wanting to know and understand the latest things. When I switched from being an engineer to a banker, I did so because the company I worked for, British Gas, was privatizing. I could see that the people moving to the top of the company were not the engineers, they were the finance types. And I thought, oh, I've got the wrong skill. If I wanted to be the head of a company here, I better go and find out about finance. And I ended up applying to Citibank and staying there for 15 years. So I, I found out a little bit about finance in that time. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Um, here's another one. Morgan asks, what's it going to take to reintroduce women to the workspace after 2020? You know, we were speaking earlier about how many women have dropped out or had to scale back. 
you know, what can companies, I know MasterCard has some initiatives, but what, what can companies do to bring women back quickly? Well, first of all, I think that you have to welcome them back. And I don't think you just have to welcome women back. I think you have to welcome your employees back. And um, and actually, funnily enough, we were just talking about this as a management team the other day about how do you make the whole environment welcoming and fun? Um, and, um, and it can be sort of having events that just make people feel connected. Uh, we're quite lucky because we have fantastic sponsorships around the world yeah, in the sporting arena and music and so on. And, um, and we can organize events around this. So these are kind of things that we've been mulling over in our minds. But I think in respect of women, it's really um, res respecting um, you know, who they are and, and what they're facing. And as I said, thinking about how to get that uh, balance right um, when you're, you know, in the working world. Now, I read actually somewhere, Heather, that something they did a study in six countries and they included the US, UK, China, Japan um, and um, the Italy and South Korea. And they said that 24 percent of um, job losses um, would actually uh, women were 25 percent more likely to have permanent job losses. I actually think what happens in this situation is that women often go into their own businesses, uh, you know, start doing more entrepreneurial things. So I think that we have to put our brains to thinking about how to help women SMEs, how to help them digitize, learn to run their businesses. That's a really good point. I've certainly spoken to some women who've transitioned in the last few months, if not the last few years, to running their own business, which is that we should encourage. Uh, here's another one that I may not surprise you to hear from a young woman. Uh, Adrian writes in about cryptocurrencies, which are all the rage these days. I believe MasterCard just announced that the company will now facilitate crypto on your network. And I believe you also have a new credit card out that gives rewards in crypto and a partnership with another organization. So Adrian had asked, um, how do you like? Do you think people will use crypto to pay as a payment for? I mean, we're, not, we're seeing a little bit of it, but sort of, do you think it'll really take off? Uh, and you know, do you, will Mastercard invest in Bitcoin or some other crypto? Well, I mean, first of all, um, I think Bitcoin versus stable coins is very different. Um, we, you know, I uh, we have done surveys around the world, and we're certainly finding in the Gen Y that there's a lot of interest in actually using crypto on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and um, and so, you know, we're invent investing in a lot of different blockchain solutions, by the way, not just for cryptocurrencies, but for things like provenance, which is basically if I order something, is the thing that I, you know, that I ordered, is it the real thing if you like? Um, and also things like smart contracts. So I think there's many ways that you could use blockchain technology. And uh, and we're working, we've just announced that we, we're bringing on another six startup companies that we're working with in the blockchain space. But back to wow. crypto, uh, we, we do believe that um, stable coins have a, a future. And we believe that many central banks are looking at their own digital currency and we're helping them to do this by building sandboxes. So absolutely, it's part of the future. Yeah, wow, that's something. 
Uh, the last one, thank you. You've been very generous with your time today. Um, I want to ask this last question. I, I was sort of trying to debate how I would answer it. It's very deep, but Maureen writes in and asks, what do you see as your purpose in life? And has it always been the same or has it changed? Hmm. I think that I think that your purpose changes as you grow older. And uh, the reason for that is that um, you start to really think about what legacy you're leaving. At least I started to think about that a few years back. And I started to think, you know, when I joined the working world, I was a research scientist, as you mentioned, and I was the only woman in my research station. They were all men, apart from the typing pool. I was the only woman engineer. And it was quite interesting. I was 22 at the time. And our first woman prime minister, who was also a scientist, she came to visit us at the research station and I met her there. Um, and um, that was quite fascinating because many times she was the only woman in her field as well. Um, and I thought my purpose is that I don't want women to be in that position for much longer. Um, uh, well, it's changing, but it's not changing fast enough as you started with. So I'm spending most of my life now thinking, how can I make sure that the women who come after me, you know, can rise to the top of their companies, can take their place in the world? Because quite frankly, you know, we're losing trillions of dollars in lifetime earnings by not giving their women place in society. And I don't think that we're designing a good world by not having enough women involved and in mind as we design things. I just honestly believe as we move into the AI age and we start going 5G and adopting all the new technology, we've got to have women take their place in designing these things so that we actually build a world that works better for everyone. And it's my job to try and make sure that that happens, or at least I'm going to do the most I can do uh, in this space. Well, that's a great legacy to leave, and we certainly would certainly need more efforts around it. Uh, Anne Cairns, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today for Washington Post Live. Thank you very much, Heather. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Great questions. Thank you. And thanks to our audience around the world. Please join us again tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We will be hosting a discussion with Senator Elizabeth Warren about her new book that has just come out, Persist. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.